Hello, this is A.R. Bernard, and welcome to my podcast. My objective, it's simple, to create a platform where you can be educated, informed, and inspired as you navigate the intersection of faith and culture. If you have no faith, maybe you'll find it here. So, thanks for tuning in. Good morning. Come on, give God some praise. You could do better. Yes? It's wonderful, little by little, see you all come back, feel a little bit more comfortable and safer as we go. And thank you, our online members, for being with us, whether you're here locally or across the country or around the world. Amen. Those of you from South Africa, from Europe, wherever you may be coming uh, and joining us, we're glad to have you. Praise the Lord. I'm looking forward to vibrant, spirit-filled worship with a, with a packed house. So we look forward to that. Well, I want you to greet each other with a fist bump or an elbow. You know, keep it COVID safe. <laughs> you may be seated. How many know that God is smarter than us? Did it ever occur to you that nothing ever occurs to God? So he puts systems in place. He puts structures in place, patterns and principles. You've heard me say this again and again and again over the years, especially when it comes to the growth and development of the body of Christ. Jesus said, I will build my church. And the church, the ecclesia, is a gathering of people out from all of humanity towards worship and understanding and embracing the Lordship of Christ and his ministry in the earth. I was reading in the book of Acts chapter 8, I'm sure you've read it by now, where the evangelist Philip was dispatched by the Lord to attach himself to a caravan and that caravan, he would find, at that caravan, he would find an Ethiopian eunuch. He comes across the Ethiopian, and you can read the, read the chapter. It's, it's fascinating how he got there. And God was engaging in Beam Me Up, Scotty, long before Captain Kirk and uh, Star Trek. But the encounter speaks of Philip meeting this Ethiopian leader and finding him reading from the book of the prophet Isaiah, chapter 53. And he was reading these words, for who has believed our report and to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? How many are familiar with the text? He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquity. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are what? Come on. Healed. Amen. He had no form or comeliness that anyone would desire him. His soul was made an offering for sin. And as the man was reading it, Philip asked him, do you understand 
what you're reading. And I think the response of the Ethiopian was so important. He said, how can I unless someone teach me? I'll say that again. How can I unless someone teach me? How many know we need teachers in life? People to instruct us, to give us guidance, to give us wisdom out of their own experience and understanding over time. In the book of Ephesians chapter 4, and you could look these texts up uh, when you get a chance. So that was Acts chapter 8 that we were just in. Ephesians chapter 4, it said that when Jesus ascended on high, he gave gifts to the church. He gave some apostles, prophets, pastors, evangelists, teachers. And that's important because it meant that certain individuals would be anointed by God in a specific way to bring a certain kind of ministry to the body of Christ and the growth of the church. Paul continues in that text, beginning at verse 11 down to verse 12, 13. He says that we will not be children tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine, little King James language there. So these what some refer to as five-fold ministry, are important because they provide guidance. God's love, God's life, God's light, but most importantly, understanding. Those texts impacted me deeply, and that's why here at CCC, we are a teaching ministry. How many figured that out already? Yeah. And that's why you come, right? You come to learn, to grow. I love uh, speaking of Jesus and his growth and development in Luke 2.52, it says that he grew in wisdom and stature and gained favor, good graces, with God and man. And boy, is that a great packaging of what it takes for us to grow and be successful and develop in life. Growing in wisdom and stature, right? And at the same time, in good graces with both God and our fellow human beings. So you come to learn. You come to have the light of God's word brought to you and the text. Theology, and don't ever let that word scare you, it essentially means the study of God, but that's a little not true. How do we study God? Can we take him apart? <laughs> Put them back together again? No. The Apostle Paul says that we can learn about the eternal power of God and his divine nature through studying and observing creation. And that's what gives birth to science. And for us, there is no conflict between faith and science or philosophy. So as we study creation, its order, its gradation, its motion, its causations, things like that, we discover a lot about God's nature and his eternal power. And the eternal power simply means that his power transcends time and space. So theology, and I love the way St. Anselm put it, that's A-N-S-E-L-M. He said, theology is faith-seeking understanding. I'm going to say that again. Theology fancy seminary word, is simply faith-seeking understanding. Say it with me. What is theology? Faith-seeking understanding. 
So as I seek to understand my faith in Jesus Christ, right? What am I engaged in? Theology. What am I engaged in? Theology, yeah. So it's not just a fancy word for those in seminary. It's what you do on a daily basis trying to make sense. I'm a Christian. You've heard this before. I'll say it again because it bears repeating. I'm a Christian because Christianity, for me, best answers the big questions. Who or what is God, ultimate reality? What does it mean to be human? And what does it mean to live in this world? And I have found the best answer for me come from my Christian faith. So theology is going through a process of studying, understanding as much as we can. But how many know God is infinite? So we're, we're finite, so we cannot actually fully comprehend God. He still remains to a degree mystery. That's another thing I love about Christianity. Some people have all the answers. How many know those folks? Don't point. We are on a journey to learn, to grow. Amen? So we study. We worship. Absolutely, we study. We study collectively here. We study individually in our personal life. We study. And we've been entrusted with Scripture. I thank God for the Bible every day. I thank God for the Bible every day. I thank God for all of the programmers who put it and made it digital all in my phone. I thank God that I can carry 32 translations in my phone and notes and commentary. That is fantastic. I pray for those programmers, those people who stay up at night and that's what they do. I couldn't do that, but I'm glad they can do it. And I pray for them because I want more and more content. Amen? I want to talk to you about Roots. How many remember that movie? I'm not going to talk about the movie. But it was a great movie introducing America to, in a very vivid way, the story of slavery and how that developed from its beginning. But I want to talk to you about Roots as an anchor and support roots, whether it's a root, roots of a tree, roots of a plant. We think in those terms. So when I think of roots, I'm thinking of what? An anchor and a support, right? Additionally, that which sustains. That which sustains. What's today's sermon about? Roots. Roots as a what? Anchor, support, sustains. And what I love about the teaching ministry, because we don't want you to come to church and say, oh, the pastor preached such a great sermon. What did he preach about? I don't know, but he preached such a great sermon. I want you to know. I want you to leave here with understanding. The Bible says wisdom is a principal thing. Get wisdom, but in all you're getting, get what? Understanding. understanding. Because what you understand can never be taken from you. It is yours for the rest of your life. So roots are an anchor 
a support, that which sustains. Could be a plant, could be a tree, but it also can be an idea, a belief, an activity, a lifestyle. Roots anchor, support, and sustain ideologies or ways of thinking. Roots anchor, support, and sustain beliefs, belief systems, activities that people engage in, lifestyle. Your theology is, 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 is critical, and also critical is where your theology begins. Your understanding of God, your study of God begins. There are some who start with the fall. How many got that far in the Bible? That's chapter 3 of Genesis, the first book. Some people, their theology begins there. Mine did when I came to Christ because I entered a particular context where they were very conscious of sin and the loss of God's holiness and God's justice. So I, I was in a context that was, you know, sin conscious. And everything was sin. And you know the story of how many incredible albums I threw out because I thought it was sin to listen to jazz music. Thank God I was free and liberated from that. But it was a context that was sin conscious, so everything revolved, my understanding of God, my relationship with God, other people, creation, was dominated by this consciousness of unholiness and sinfulness. And that's if your theology begins with the fall of man in Genesis 3. But as I grew and I learned that there was something that took place before that, I knew this, but I didn't appreciate its value and its position. And that is creation, where God created everything and pronounced it to be good. You got to that part. And God looked at all that he made, including people, and said that they were what? Good. In fact, very good. And I shifted my theology beginning from the fall to creation. And I will tell you, so much came alive. I discovered a good and loving God that in spite of my failures and shortcomings and that of humanity at large, he still loves us. And he had originally great intentions for humanity. See, one, the fall, leaves you in despair and it leaves you in a sense that you look at everything through the lens of being bad and evil. The other creation leaves you with a lens that allows you to look at everything as originally, intentionally good, but it became evil. And God's whole objective is to redeem it and bring it back to what it was meant to be. In Matthew chapter 19, Jesus encounters some religious leaders on the issue of divorce. And he says, have you not read that in the beginning God created male and female? And he was talking about the marriage covenant and the marriage unit. But notice his point of reference. It was where? 
in the beginning. Where was it? Come on, talk back to me. In the beginning. So his point of reference was not the fall, it was creation. In other words, what God originally intended guided him in his thinking and in his approach to the world in which we live. They said, well, if, if God intended that, why did Moses give a writing of divorcement? And Jesus' response was, it was a concession, ARB language. It was a concession. God conceded because of the hardness of your heart. He allowed something to be built into the relationship so that it doesn't get escalate to the place where two people are at odds with each other and about to take each other out. So it shows that God has made some concessions along the way to respond to the wounded and broken human condition. Can I get a half of an amen there, right there? That's a, that's a good spot for an amen. Why it's important to choose where your theology begins, because that's where it's going to be what? Rooted, anchored, supported, and sustained. Your whole view, your whole worldview comes out of where you root your theology. And interestingly enough, in, enough roots tend to be the unseen portion of the plant or the tree or the idea or the belief or the activity or the lifestyle. Because we get to see the fruit, but the fruit is fed by the roots. Let's go to Psalm chapter 1, verse, verses 2 through 3. In fact, just jot this down. For the sake of time, I was told I've got a certain amount of time. I asked them, whose time? And they laughed. But in Psalm 1, verses 2 and 3, the Bible speaks of the persons whose words, thoughts, and this is the A.R. Bernard version 2021, whose words, thoughts, motives, actions, attitudes, and choices are anchored in God's patterns, principles, precepts, and they will ultimately lead to a prosperous and fruitful life. When you read the text, you won't read all that. But it simply says, blessed is the man who is planted. Planted in the ways of God, whose delight is in the law of God. He's like someone who's planted by the rivers of living water. And if you know that if you're planted by a river, you're going to get the water that you need, the refreshment that you need to grow and develop. Again, anchored. In Matthew chapter 13, verses 4 through 6, you can write it down, the reference. The Bible speaks of the, the sowing of the word, the message of Jesus. And the seed falls on different soil. How many remember the parable of the sower? And it falls on wayside, right? Stony ground, thorny ground, and then good ground. But in Matthew 13, 4 through 6, it speaks of the stony ground. And it says that these who are those who hear the word, but they're emotional hearers of the message of Jesus Christ. They immediately welcome the message with joy, yet they have no roots. No what? Roots. Nothing to what? 
anchor them, nothing to support that decision for Jesus, nothing to sustain them. They have no roots. They get excited about it. They receive the message with joy. But because they are not anchored in the word, what happens? It's a temporary experience and their relationship with Christ. And when pressure or persecution comes because of that commitment to the word and this newfound faith, they immediately stumble and fall away. How many have ever seen some people like that? Yeah, yeah. Jesus was very clear. In the book of Hebrews, chapter 12, verse 15, you could write down this reference as well. The Bible speaks of a root of bitterness. And boy, I did a whole sermon on that and how that root of bitterness impacted my relationship with my wife, Karen, Pastor Karen, and what we learned out of that experience many, many years ago. But the Bible speaks in Hebrews 12, 15 of a root of bitterness, which is an intense animosity caused by emotional pain, grief, or regret. It not only poisons you, but it infects the people around you. And the scripture in that verse says, be careful. Don't let a root of bitterness form inside of you in such a way that you actually contaminate the people around you. And bitterness usually takes root after constant disappointment and disappointment and disappointment after disappointment in the context of a relationship or a desire. It fills you with pain, with grief. And I've seen many people bitter. I mean, know some bitter folks. And that bitterness overshadows everything that they experience in life, it becomes a lens through which they see everything. And when, when Pastor Karen and I were going through our marriage, mar marital challenges, uh, I remember, because I would see her in the morning and say, uh, how are you doing? She'd say, what do you mean by that? How did how are you doing become what do you mean by that? But it was it was the grief. It was and it was my fault, of course. <laughs> Who said of course? Did I hear y'all? <laughs> Bitterness taking root and becomes a what? Anchor, support, and sustain that condition of extreme animosity. Matthew 3.10, write this reference down. Matthew 3.10. This is prophet John the Baptist, and he's bringing an indictment against the audience, especially group of religious leaders. And he says in the New Living Translation, and already the axe of God's judgment is swinging toward the root of the trees. Toward the what? Can't hear you. Toward the what? the root of the trees. Therefore, every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Of course, John's words dramatically portrays not a simple pruning of unfruitful branches, but actually the cutting down of the tree, implying, what well, John was implying, that Jesus would bring a radical change in the Jewish religious system. Jesus hinted of it when he spoke concerning the temple prophetically. He said, there shall not be left here one stone upon another, that the temple would be utterly destroyed. And of course, that was fulfilled in the destruction of the city of Jerusalem and the temple 
in 70 AD, and the, the Jewish sacrificial system ended and radically changed the way Jewish people would engage their faith. And that continues up to this day. Jesus hinted of it when his, in his conversation with the woman at the well. How many remember her story? He said to her, the hour is come and now is, not only that when the true worshipers of God shall worship the Father in spirit and truth. Remember, she was a Samaritan woman, so they argued about whether worship, worship was valid in Jerusalem or on, or on Mount Gerashim. And he said, that's not going to matter anymore because people are not going to worship in Jerusalem or in Mount Gerashim. People are going to experience worship of God in their heart. And your bodies will become the temple of the Holy Spirit, and the place of worship. Hallelujah. He said the axe is laid to the root. Now, I want to highlight what this text presents to us. Because again, the root is what gives life and sustains something, right? The root does what? Anchors, supports, and sustains. Again, the root does what? Anchors, supports, and sustains. It could be a plant, a tree, an idea, a belief system, an ideology, right? And the root tends to be the unseen portion. What John the Baptist was actually talking about here when he said the axe is laid to the root, he was using an expression really that we say today, striking at the root. How many understand that, striking at the root? Well, if you don't, you'll know today. Striking at the root of something means to attack the central part or most crucial element of something. Essentially, to attack the part that allows something to function. Are you hearing me? Because when you strike at the roots, what are you striking at? The anchor, the support, and that which sustains something. So striking at the root is getting to the heart of it, that which allows something to function, that which sustains it. American poet and philosopher Henry David Thoreau taught that, listen to this, for every thousand people Hacking at the leaves of evil, there is one person striking at the roots. I'm going to say it again. For every thousand people hacking at the leaves of evil, there is one person who gets it and where they're striking. Because if you want to stop something, you've got to deal with it where it's being anchored, supported, and sustained. In other words, we've got to deal with the cause and not the symptoms. And this is essentially what John was saying Jesus was coming to do. He was coming to deal with the cause of the human condition. Thoreau observed that most people spend their time dealing with the symptom instead of the cause of things. Am I talking to anybody in here today? And, and we're, we're, in a, we're in a society that, is there a pill for that? No matter what it is that I want to alleviate myself from, I want to know, just, just can you give me a pill, doc? 
We want to deal with the symptoms. Make it go away. Stop the pain. But what we really need to do with is what? Come on, deal with the roots. Strike at the, come on, roots. Because when we strike at the roots, we deal with the what? The anchor, the support, and that which sustains it. And you could see the, you could really understand and see the importance of striking at the root in all dimensions of life. Let me give you some. I'm glad you asked for them. Should we focus on controlling our borders? Or developing a better immigration system? The key word that I'm going to use here, and you'll hear again and again, is focus. It's not that we should do one or the other. We need to do both. But what should we give the greatest amount of attention and resources to? Pastor, you're meddling. <laughs> Amen. Hallelujah. Should we focus on controlling our borders or developing a better immigration system? Should we focus on treating disease or preventing disease? Where should our focus be? Should we focus on feeding people or preventing hunger? Should we focus on arming ourselves for war or preventing conflicts? Let me get a little personal here. Should we change? Should we keep changing our love relationships or find a better way to screen them? I'm just saying. Boy, that one hits home. Boom. You can't keep moving from person to person to person to person. Maybe you need a better screening process. Background check. Should we focus on making more money or better money management? Should we focus on whining, complaining, and griping, or should we focus on making the best use of a situation and the resources available? Here's the language of God to Moses. He's about to deliver close to a million people from political bondage in Egypt, and God asks him, what's in your hand? Should we focus on whining, complaining, and griping? Or should we focus on making the best use of the situation and the resources available to us? We've got to get to the what? Otherwise, we're going to keep dealing with the symptoms and not deal with the cause. Another American lecturer and philosopher by the name of Ralph Waldo Emerson. He was also an abolitionist. Thought I'd throw that in there. He said, sow a thought, 
reap an action. Sow an action, reap a habit. Sow a habit, reap a character. Sow a character, reap a destiny. In other words, thoughts lead to actions. Actions lead to habits. Habits lead to character, and character determines destiny. You want me to say that one more time? Thoughts lead to actions. Actions lead to habits. Habits lead to character, and character determines destiny. Classic book that I've read several times and continue to read and again revisit often and should be part of your library, and it's a quick read. Because, you know, this generation judges whether they read a book by how thick it is. I'll read that. I don't know about that one. It's called As a Man Thinketh by James Allen. If you haven't read it, you need to. If you read it, you need to read it again. Those books that you go back to again and again. And he takes it from a text in the book of Proverbs. As a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. Which means everything comes from our thoughts. So thoughts must be Thoughts lead to actions, actions to habits, habits to character, character to destiny. But it all begins with what? You've heard me preach it again and again. The quality of your thinking determines the quality of your life. One more time. The quality of your, come on, say it with me. The quality of my thinking determines the quality of my life. So if I don't like the outcomes, if I don't like the way things are going in my life, what do I need to change? I've got to go where? Not to the symptoms. I've got to go to the, what anchors what's been going on in my life and my relationships? What supports and sustains these problems that I'm having? I've got to get to the what? Come on. The roots. The quality of your life. Your thinking, rather, determines the quality of your life. Let me go to Romans chapter 12, verse 2. In the Amplified Bible. Listen, I'm going to read it to you. Romans 12, 2, Amplified says, Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies, dedicating all of yourselves set apart as a living sacrifice holy and well-pleasing to God, which is your rational, logical, intelligent act of worship. And do not be conformed to this world any longer with its superficial values and customs, but be transformed and progressively changed as you mature spiritually by the renewing of your mind, focusing on godly values and ethical attitudes so that you may prove for yourselves what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect in his plan and purpose for your life. And he read it to you out of the Message Bible, verses 1 and 2, Romans 12. So, you know, the Message is the down-home Bible, right? So here's what I want you to do, God helping you. Take your everyday, ordinary life sleeping, eating, going to work, and walking around life and place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for him. Don't become so well-adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking 
Instead, fix your attention on God. You'll be changed from the inside out. Readily recognize what he wants from you and quickly respond to it, unlike the culture around you, always dragging you down to its level of immaturity. God brings out the best in you and develops well-informed maturity. Remember the last time we were together here, I said to you that both believers and unbelievers think about the same things. Remember that? Saints and sinners. Saints and ain'ts, however you want to call it. People think generally about the same things, right? Security, safety, money, power. I mean, everybody, we all think about the same thing. But as Christians, we think about them differently. And that's how we make the Christian difference. That's how we live out the Christian difference, because of how we what? How we think, how we process information. And that's what the kingdom of God really is, less a place that you go to after you die and more a way of thinking, doing, and being. So living out your faith is about living the Christian difference, especially in the gray areas of life. How many know about the gray areas of life? Yeah, all of life is not black and white, no pun intended. There's a lot of space in life where there are no rules or the rules are not clear. The gray areas of life are where situations can be difficult to judge what is right and what is wrong. Have you ever been in a gray area? And you're trying to figure it out from your Christian moral perspective. The gray areas where situations are unclear and open to interpretation. So someone may look at it one way, you may look at it another way, bring in a third person, they'll look at it another way. Now we got three ways to choose from. In fact, bring 10 people, now we got 10 ways to choose from, and it just gets more confusing. And this is where knowledge, wisdom, understanding, discernment, and experience over time come in. And it comes from having your mind renewed by the word of God. So here's a question. How should we think as Christians? How should we think about these uncertain social, political, spiritual, moral, and economic times that we are in? How should we think about them? That's important because how we think about them becomes the roots that anchor and support and sustain how we feel and how we respond. Amen? How should we think about these uncertain times that we're in? I've taught you that everything that God does, he does according to a pattern. The Bible reveals the power and nature of God, his plans and purposes, but it also reveals patterns, principles, precepts, seasons, systems, and cycles. So I want to get into how should we think about these uncertain social, political, spiritual, moral, and economic times we are in. Don't you want to know how we should think about these things? And I'm going to give you one word that will frame how we think about these times that we're in, and it's from the list called cycles. And when we come back to church next time, I'm going to unpack that word and how it relates and gives us a lens through which we can take a look and make sense of the world around us. 
Did you get anything out of that today? Come on, give God a good hand clap offering. Let's stand on our feet. God gave each of us some skill, talent, some ability, and it's our stewardship responsibility to cultivate that as we discover our role in the world. Senator Schumer used the term tikkun olam. It was taught to me by my dear rabbi friend, repairing the world, making the world a better place while we're here. And part of that is constructively engaging culture with our values and ethics and beliefs and challenging them to judge their decision-making according to God's perspective on humanity. Amen? Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Come on, give God a, a hand clap offering one more time. Give him some praise. God loves you. That's creation theology. God made you for a purpose. That's creation theology. Amen? And God is using us right now as agents of change until he comes back personally and puts it all in order. So let's do our part and continue to celebrate life, his life, his love, and his light. Amen? Father, thank you for our time together today in your presence. Thank you for this community of faith. We don't grow in isolation. We grow in community. And thank you for this community, Christian Cultural Center. Thank you for Christian communities around the world that are building up your people, building up your church, and creating disciples to share the good news. Let this word today become rooted in us and bear much fruit. We thank you in Jesus' precious name. Amen and amen. And those of you watching online, thank you for being with us today. Let's say something good as we leave this place, but never God's presence. Jesus is Lord, period. We believe it, we proclaim it, and we are seeing it come to pass. Thank you, Governor Hochul, and all the elected officials for being with us today. God bless. Thanks for tuning in to the A.R. Bernard podcast. I hope you were enriched by the information and or the conversation. Make sure subscribe by clicking the link in the bio to gain more information about me and the work that I'm doing. Again, thank you and God bless.